Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Um, wow, man. It's like a holy moment. And you want to be careful how you transition these moments. But we need the Word of God. Sometimes God's serving wine, and we drink deep of His Spirit. But sometimes He's serving bread, and we've got to eat, right? Wine makes us feel good. But bread makes us grow up into the fullness of the things that God would have for us. So we're going to transition into the Word and, uh, at this time. And so if you could be seated, give somebody a high five and tell them you love them and that you're glad that they are in God's house. tell you what when when Jesus there's there's a part of getting to know who we are in Jesus and there's a part of it that's scary right because Jesus is other than us he's completely other than us but then at the same time Jesus is also conforming us by his spirit to his image So there's a part of us that's not like him, but then there's a part of us that is like him. And we're coming into greater knowledge of of who we are in him. And I love, this is the most radical response that you ever hear in the gospel, um, I think, that I've found so far. But there's a man by the name of Nathaniel that comes up to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him walking up, he said, Behold, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Or in other words, behold, here's an Israelite who is honest and open about his relationship with him and there's nothing hidden in his heart. And if Jesus was to say that about me, I would probably argue with Jesus and be like, Jesus, you don't know me, man. Like, but do you know what Nathaniel says? How do you know me? It becomes the revelatory thing that Nathaniel agrees with what Jesus says about him. And I think that's the place that God is getting us to. He's getting us to the place to just quit arguing with what he says about us and just agree with it. And it it feels weird. It doesn't feel right because we're not there yet. But then when he says something, just say, yes, I received that thing. And so when I look at Tim Nelson, here is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And... He is just an awesome man of God. And so, the, and so he was sharing something with me probably a month ago and said, man, I feel like I've got a word for the church. And I was like, and it just bore witness with my heart. And I said, all right, man, I'll be praying about when to share it. And so this week as I, in my prayer time, it was the Lord was kind of kept highlighting is that this would be the time for Tim to share that word. And so I was like, you know how we do? We second guess if God's really speaking to us or not. And so I was just kind of like, well, Lord, just, you know, give me some kind of fleece or something, you know. And so I'm painting in my house. I'm doing some touch-up painting. Then all of a sudden, my daughter runs to the phone, with the phone in her hand, runs to me and says, "Uh, Dad, uh, Tim Nelson's calling you. And I thought, oh, that's odd. I was just talking about, okay. Hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, not much. What are you doing? And we just kind of keep small talk back and forth. And then I'm like, wait a second here. 
I'm like, he's acting like I called him, and I'm acting like he called me. So we're waiting on each other to get to the point. And then come to find out, Abigail was watching my phone and called Tim Nelson. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, whatever. Uh, I was like, well, I'm glad you called, or I called you, or somebody called each other. We don't know. But uh, I feel like it was time for, for Tim to share this word. And so this is going to be a major encouragement to you. It's going to be good stuff. And so, Tim, come on up here and just share your heart. We love you. And just. I just have one question. Does anybody have a shoehorn? <laughs> Somebody must have one because some of you are wearing your shoes already. Good job. This is a holy moment in. It's interesting, everything that's led up to this moment, everything that's been said and done has led right into this word that I feel God's given me. And uh, so if you can excuse me just for a second, I got to prepare. So uh, worship among yourselves. Okay. This represents human agency, and uh, what I want you to know is it's full of my air. And we breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon monoxide, and uh, this is not life-giving, but it's the life that we're given, right? So just think of this as, you know, all of life's joys and sorrows. As a matter of fact, when they would have the Feast of Booths, they would put together palms and willows, and... The Feast of Booths was a remembrance of their time in the wilderness when God literally hovered over them for 40 years. I mean, God was a cloud by day and a fire by night, and the tabernacle was present, and they would worship in the tabernacle. It was just uh, it was a fabulous time, but the booths were made out of willows and palms, and it represented all the joys and sorrow. And I know there are people here today that are filled with joy. You got some good news recently. She said, yes, you know, the promotion came, the baby was born, the pregnancy was, uh, you know, successful, and all those good things that bring joy into our life, and, and yet there's somebody here who has, has lost somebody dear to them. Somebody, you know, I, I rent U-Hauls all the time, and somebody just picked one up, one of the most recent ones I rented, and... I said, oh, you're moving, and oh, you know, where you headed, is it good news? And they said, no, I'm going home, I'm, I'm going through a divorce. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me turn my trains on, it'll cheer you up, you know. Life is filled with joy and sorrow, and so sometimes we just feel like, you know, I've got to, I think my marriage would be better if I take my wife to dinner, and I think... I think that I could be happier if, uh, if I just, sometimes people do help us with that. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I feel like I've got to, you know, I've got to make effort to feel joy. You know, it's human agency. I've got to, I've got to put in some effort. You know, I've got to make my marriage better with effort. I've got to, 
I got to be a better parent. I got to spend more time helping my kids with their homework. I've got, I've got to, I've got to work harder so I get the promotion. I got, I got to pay bills. I've, I've got to monitor my health. I've got to exercise more. I've got, I've got to read the Bible more. I got to pray more. I got to do more. And that the human agency just kind of gets away from us, doesn't it? And so our joy, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of help to keep it going. And sometimes we have a team that helps us. And and sometimes we feel abandoned, you know, like those moments of death or divorce or, or a breakup or being fired. If you've ever been fired, it's a miserable experience. It's a miserable experience. Nobody likes to be fired. And so we just keep trying to, to not live in sorrow, to not live in depression, to not live, to not live at the bottom but to live at the top. So we keep pushing. We keep putting effort into it. We keep blowing up our balloons. And I, bought a, I brought a whole bag of balloons, but I'm having trouble enough with one, so I'll stick with that. <laughs> but, you know, this is the way life is. It's like every day you get up and the, the effort of the day is, is what's going to determine the outcome. And they tell us, change your habits and you'll change your life. So we keep applying effort. We keep trying. We keep pushing. And we're pushing and and we're just, we're just trying to keep, keep afloat. We just, we struggle. Human agency has been a problem throughout our experience with God. Human agency has been the problem. You know, God came to the garden in the cool of the day every day. And Adam and, and God had a great relationship. And then Eve came along. And Adam and Eve and God, they had a great relationship. But you know, we're frail, aren't we? Oh, we would have ate of that tree too. Free will is such a curse, isn't it? It's a blessing, but it's a curse. I'd rub this against my hair so it'd stick on my shirt, but I don't have enough hair. <laughs> Matt could probably help me. Let's talk about human agency. You know, when, when Moses was out there holding his hands up and they're winning the battle, what happened? The carnal flesh just sort of weakens and more carnal flesh came and tried to support him and, and hold it up, you know? And God's always saying, come up. And the devil's always saying, come on down, you know? People had to go help Moses hold his arms up so he could finish the victory and the Spirit of God in the Old Testament would come upon people and great things would happen. You know, uh, Samson would carry off the gates of a city and win over the enemy with the jawbone of a donkey. You know, I mean, it was just those moments when the Spirit came upon people that their human agency was supercharged. You hear in the Old Testament that David was a man after God's own heart. And you know, there were times when he would just sing and praise songs and everything's great. And then there were times that weren't so great. When he had to deal with an unwanted pregnancy. and There were times when Jonah had victory. And there was times when he was in the gut of a fish. And wondering why God doesn't understand. There were times when Abraham stood in his tent and thought, I'm just weary. I'm tired, God. I'm 100 years old. When's the promise ever going to get here? The disciples, they, they went around with Jesus. And boy, Jesus, he, he really pushes you to keep that 
in the air, you know, he says, go out and pray for people that they'll be healed and delivered. And, and, and they watch him do things and he makes it look so easy. But then when they do it, they can't finish the task. And they marvel at his teaching just like the other people do. But, but then there's 5,000 on a hill and, and their stomachs are growling. And when they lean in, they can hear 5,000 men plus women and children. Boy, there's a lot of... They go to Jesus and say, Jesus, just send them away. Jesus says, no, you feed them. You can do it. And they're kind of like, uh, no, no, we can't. He said, just go see what you got. You know, God only wants what you have, not what you don't have. So many times we tell God, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I, I know what I've done. I know who I am. I know what I amount to. And I, I'm just a not enough clay for you to make a pot out of. I'm just a lump, you know. And, and God said, just bring me what you have. And so, so they brought him a boy's lunch and they said, uh, it's just not much, Jesus. It's just a boy's lunch. It's just some biscuits and a, some fish and it's, it's a boy's lunch. And I assure you, he was not driving a Cisco bobtail. He was, he was carrying his Elijah lunchbox. And he had some fish and some biscuits. And Jesus said, that'll do. And, you know, they, they kept thinking, you know, with all the effort in human experience, I don't think we could get a molecule to every one of these people out of a boy's lunch. It's just not possible. But when Jesus broke the bread and blessed the fish, everybody had enough to eat. And they had 12 baskets left over. Can you imagine when they came to mom's house and he come in with his empty lunchbox and these disciples came in with baskets full of fish and, and bread and, and mom said, what's going on, son? And uh, he, how did it go to see Jesus, and what are all these baskets? And he said, well, Mom, that's leftovers from lunch. <laughs> and she said, I couldn't have got that in your lunchbox, even with Elijah's help. You know, little is much when God is in it. And, and throughout their experience with God, as they walked with Jesus, he could... Do such amazing things. You know, it's kind of scary when you're out on the water and, and you think you're going to die. And then he rebukes you and said, don't worry about it. I got this. Quiet! And the storm stops. Or you see him walking on the water and you say, if that's really you, Jesus, call me out. And you go out. And then the storm around you kind of takes away from the fact that you're doing something nobody's ever done before. You're walking on water. The anxiety that you feel is the devil distracting you from the face of Jesus. God's given you the tools for the task. God's given you every tool that you'll ever need. God's given you the tools for the task. But the devil doesn't want you to keep your eyes on Jesus. So keep your eyes on Jesus because, uh, you know, human agency only goes so far. Uh, this is a problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is they're trying to be religious. They're trying to, they're trying to keep it in the air on their own strength and their own ability. And you know what happens? Human agency just lets us down. So instead of being filled with joy and peace and love, they're filled with hate 
and bitterness and hardness. When you become religious, all you do is look down your nose at people that aren't like you. When you're like Jesus, you realize everybody's like you. We all struggle. Do you struggle? Do you have times when you just don't know how you're going to make it? They'd been with Jesus for three years, and it was amazing. And what I really dislike about the Bible is that we only really have one sermon. We only have a handful of days, really, out of three years. We don't have three years of his ministry. We have a handful of days. What was it like to be with Jesus every day? To end the day around the campfire and go, wow, Jesus. Oh, that was oh, the way you talked to the religious leaders and, and the way that demon went running and the way those people ate. Everybody was burping and belching after that meal. Wow, it was amazing. It was amazing. Then Jesus started to tell him how he was going to end his ministry. Peter grabbed him and said, say it ain't so. In his human agency, in his human wisdom, he said, no, 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 Jesus, don't talk like that. In their human frailty, when he said, when he's going to betray me, they all looked at each other. You think it's me? I know I haven't done everything I should have done. You think it's me? He said, the one I dipped my biscuit in the sop with, that's the one. And when Judas took it, took a bite, and went out the door to go do what he was going to do, they still were saying, I wonder what Judas is doing. Are we short on bread or biscuits or something? He must have forgot the wine. They were oblivious to what Jesus was trying to tell them. During Passion Week, they thought when he turned over the, the tables at the temple, they just thought, yes, we're going to have the Messiah ruling on David's throne. It's going to be great. And then they came to the garden and hauled him off. They drug him to trial after trial, after inquisitor after inquisitor, and the high priest, and the one that was replaced, the King Herod, the Pilate, everybody. It was just one thing after another, and the fear just built in them. And their human agency wasn't up to the task, and they, they fled. And they denied him. And they wept. And one even took his own life. They hid. Their human agency just wasn't enough for the moment when their solution seemed like it was evaporating. When their problem seemed like it was bigger than ever before. When the one they thought was going to set them free was a captive himself. They didn't know what to do. So they ran. And they watched from rooftops and behind buildings and behind a bush and they, they just couldn't believe it. They saw Pilate try to release him but the people wouldn't have it. Crucify him! And he went down the Via Della Rosa. What a beautiful name for a terrible thing. 
They took him out to a hill called Golgotha. After he'd been whipped and he'd been beaten and he'd been bludgeoned, he'd been stripped, he'd been mistreated, he had been violated by humanity. Our human reasoning is so fragile. Most of the time we don't know what we're talking about. It just seemed like it was over. He died on that cross. He was up on the cross, their hope, their dream. They, they imagined it would be different. They were already asking, you know, who gets to be the big shot on your left and who gets to be the big shot on your right? Jesus said, it's not mine to give. Then he died. And they couldn't stop it. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 19. He died on Friday and now it's Sunday. That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. The devil wants you to be afraid of politics, afraid of the economy, afraid of your health. The devil wants to put you behind a mask, have you hide away in a corner. The devil wants you to cower in fear. That's what was happening. They were cowering. They were afraid. If they got Jesus and he was God's son, how far behind can I be? They were hiding. The door was locked. They had a chair propped on the handle. They were talking in hushed tones. What do we do? What's next for us? I don't want anything else. I don't want to go back to tax collecting. I don't want to go back to fishing. I don't want to. He changed my life. I don't want to be that man anymore. But he's gone. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea put 75 pounds. 75 pounds of perfumed ointment on Jesus. The tomb had been sealed. A guard had been set. It was over. There in that Sunday morning, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I love suddenlies in the Bible. Suddenly. 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 Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. The Prince of Peace had come back to dispel their fear. Peace be with you. You could have knocked them over with a feather. They're, they're just, they're just, they're just, they're just, uh, how? How, God? How? How could this be? He says twice, peace be with you. But in between, as he spoke, he showed their, his wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy. During this encounter in God's presence this morning, 
Weren't you filled with joy? Didn't you feel his peace? Nothing takes your peace like losing your joy. God doesn't want you to have anything but peace, but joy. But see, something happened here. This part of the passage only happens twice in the Bible. Only twice in the Bible do we see this phrase. It says in the next thought here, they were filled with joy. They saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them. The agency of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament could not be within but upon. And up until this point, the agency of the Holy Spirit was only upon. And only for moments when it was needed. So it would come upon somebody that they'd be able to fight the great battle. It would come upon somebody that they would be able to... to, Cause something wonderful to happen. But see, the agency of God is no longer upon. It's within. It's within. There was a time when it was a tabernacle. There was a time when it was a temple. There was a time when it was a holy of holies. There was a time when God was untouchable. But God lives within. Are you weary? Is there something you're struggling with? Is there pain that's weighing you down? Is there depression, discouragement, and sorrow? Understand this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And God wants you to know that when sorrows try to hold down the Spirit of God within you, It just can't do it. There's times when you just think that somebody, somebody else's failure is going to take it away. But it just won't go. God help us to realize human agency is never buoyant. And the presence of God never fails. What are we thinking? Is God limited? Does God's bank account drip out of money and God go, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make the check this week. Oh, the earth is expensive. There's a lot of people down there. They might cut off the electricity. You think heaven's got like a, you know, 48-hour notice on the door? You better pay up. When Jesus went to heaven... And applied his blood to the altar. Our sins were forgiven. And just like we heard earlier from Paige. This vessel was cleansed. When he breathed on them. He was infilling them with the Holy Spirit. See uh, Pentecostals always thought they had a corner on the Holy Ghost. He belongs to us. Any soul that's saved in this world has the Holy Spirit within. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody that knows Jesus has the Holy Spirit. There would be another experience in about 
45 days, 50 days. And they would talk funny. Have you ever sucked on helium? A lot of people think Pentecostals talk funny. You know why we talk funny? Because we're filled with a different atmosphere. The joy of the Lord becomes my strength. So I have a decision to make. And it says in chapter 5, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, God himself has prepared for us this life to come. And as a guarantee, he has given the Holy Spirit as a deposit. The Holy Spirit is deposited in you as an assurance. You don't have to rely on human agency anymore. You can lean on the Holy Spirit. I don't have to love because I have the strength to love. I have to love because God in me is the strength to love. I don't have to go look for joy. I don't have to create joy. I have to accept joy and receive joy. I don't have to produce the fruit. I have to let God produce the fruit through me. I'm not the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm the one the creator of the heavens and the earth lives in. God inside me. He wants to take me to heavenly places. He wants me to rise above my circumstance. He wants to get me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock. He wants to remind me that, Tim, I'm bigger than all your stuff. Is God bigger than your stuff? Or are you still wrestling with everything, trying to prove to God how good you are? It's not how good I am. It's how good he is. You can't keep God in a box. He keeps getting out. What we experienced this morning is God saying, I want to flow through you into a lost and dying world. And I don't want you to do it with human agency. It's not through your effort. It's through my spirit. So flow. Flow. Just flow with me and I'll take you where you need to go and I'll do what you need to do. I'll accomplish it. So thank God that your bills are paid. Thank God for your health. Thank God for your peace. Thank God for your joy. Thank God for your love. Quit trying to muster up a good Christian face and just be a Christian. Let the sap within you, the Holy Spirit that's feeding the vine, bring the fruit that causes the change in a lost and dying world. Let God be God and you'll be changed. And finally... uh, In chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For we know when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself, and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anybody been weary before? Sometimes I come home, plop in my recliner and say, Connie, I'm just tired. What would you do today? Not much. I'm just tired. I'm 61. I haven't figured out what I won yet. I'm just tired. (laughs) We grow weary in our present body and we long to be, to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For when we put on our heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in the earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit so that we are always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing, not by seeing. 
Yes, we are fully confident that we would rather be away from the earthly body, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in the body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. God's heart's been deposited in you. God's soul, God's spirit, God's love, God's affection. So that you can be the affection and heart and love of God to this world. The devil wants to fill you with anxiety. The devil wants to take away your joy. The devil wants you to believe that it's over. The devil wants to remind you every day that you're made of clay. And God wants to remind you every day that you're filled with the fruit of the Spirit. The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley are in this vessel. The beauty of heaven is contained Right here. What do we have to fear? You see, the disciples, before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, they had a fear of man. That's why the door was locked. But after the Pentecostal moment, after the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, they were fearless. They'd be beaten. Don't do this anymore and don't talk about Jesus. And they said, yeah, we can't help it. We're going to talk about Jesus. Beat us some more. We celebrate the beating because we get to be honored by the same suffering our Lord was. Once he showed up in that room, they never again feared death because they knew it was a door. Not a period. A comma. Not a backstop. It's not over when you die. It's beginning. So die out to this life and come alive in Christ because God has greater things for all of us. So as we wrap it up today, what a service, huh? I never thought I'd need a shoehorn today. I would have brought it with me. And Jesus has washed my feet and the Holy Spirit has come through the room and cleansed these vessels and he wants to fill us with his own presence. Are you full of his presence? Or are you full of anxiety and worry and cares? The Bible says casting all our cares on him because he cares for us. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. God doesn't say come when you're ready. Come when you're fixed up. Come when you're clean. Come when you're all goody goody. The truth is, goody goody never gets there. Just come. That's what he says. Come! And I'll replace that human agency with my presence. I'll replace that human effort with my effort. And my effort will get the job done every time. My effort will touch hearts. My effort will change lives. My effort will bring hope. My effort will fill you with love. My effort will fill you with peace. My effort will fill you with joy. Until the world says, I don't know what he's got, but I want some of that. That's where it's at. So the question is, through the worship and through the words that have been shared with us and through the word, where are you at? 
God came into the garden with Adam. He didn't, he didn't have to wonder where he was. He's standing here and Adam's cowering and shaking behind the bush over there. And he's like, where are you at, Adam? Take inventory, Adam, where are you at? Adam's shaking over here going, what have I done? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've never been here before. This is, this is crazy. I, 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 where are you at, Adam? I'm here. Where are you at? Not where have you been. Where are you at? Can you take what happened this morning home with you? Or does it only happen here? Is it enough to fill the tank half full and then you try to get through the week before you get on empty again? Or is it something that just keeps filling and filling and filling and filling? Are you trying to be a Christian by human agency or are you trying to be a Christian by God's eternal strength and power? I, I feel for the Christians that are faking it. The hardest job in the world, in this human experience, the hardest job is faking that you're right. Why not be right and fall back into the love of God? When you're working at being a Christian, it makes you hard and bitter and judgmental. When you become a Christian, you're loving and full of peace and joy. If you don't have that joy today, if you're not filled with that peace today, if your love is lacking today, if you've been trying to be good in your own strength, you need to stand right now and say, Tim, pray for me. Stand right now and say, Tim, pray for me. I've been trying to make it work. I've been trying to do the right thing, but it evaporates. It, it seems like it goes up, but then it seems to come back down. It, I have a good service. I dance and laugh and praise, and, and then I fight and argue and struggle, and it seems like I'm focused on my circumstance instead of the face of Jesus. Just say, I need God more than ever before. Just stand up right now and say, God, fill me with your spirit. Breathe on me. Breathe on me, God. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. I need you, God. I need you. 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 It's not my perfection that will get me into heaven, folks. It's my presence of God right here. God in my heart. This, this right here, this, this, is, this is survival. This is heaven. This is how we make it. Human agency is something to be proud of. I have to humble myself to let God be the one in charge. I have to humble myself and say, God, my, my effort alone is not enough. And he said, I know. I know your effort alone is not enough, but our effort together is more than enough. Our effort together is more than enough. If you need more than enough, stand up right now. Stand up and say, I need more than enough. I need more than enough. I need more than enough. Come on, let's come down here and let's seek the Lord and let's leave here with more than enough. More than enough. More than enough. Come on, let's pray. Come on, find a place to pray. Let's pray. Come on, the altars are open. Let's pray. God, fill me. Fill me. Overflow in me, God. Don't let me be the one acting out Christianity.
But God, let you be the one causing it in my heart. Come to the altars. Come on. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.